Welcome to Talent Hub Talk. I'm Ben Duncan, and on this podcast, I will be interviewing prominent and inspirational figures from both the local ANZ and global Salesforce Ohana. Thank you for joining this episode. This episode is just with myself, so I have recently been inviting some people to send in some some questions and any Salesforce market career-related questions that I I will answer on this episode of the podcast. Um, I've actually had some really interesting questions posed to me just through the the day-to-day role that I do over the last few weeks, so I've included some of them as well because I think there's some uh, some interesting stuff that has come up that I think that will will be of interest to, to the broader market. I also just want to take this opportunity to thank the listeners yourself as you're listening, because this is our 99th episode, which is pretty crazy to think we've hit this number. So 100th episode coming soon. But yeah, it's pretty crazy that we've got to this amount so far and uh, looking forward to bringing more episodes over the coming weeks and months. So I'll dive straight in and bring up some of the questions that I've been asked and give my response and my view on my feelings to how the market kind of appears or is acting in those areas. And hopefully there's some value in here for you. So the first question is, what are the percentage differences in pay between the different company types? So this one was off the back of a post I put up on LinkedIn a few weeks back, where I explained that it was getting more and more difficult to move people between certain companies. So I was saying that for end users at the moment, it's getting more difficult to hire from certain consulting companies because consulting companies in in some spaces or or in some particular consulting organizations tend to pay higher than some end users. And then also for big global system integrators, sometimes it's getting harder for them to hire from some of the smaller partners because some of the smaller partners have less red tape when it comes to certain salary bandings. So that was my post. So I got this question, what are the percentage differences in pay between the different company types? And the honest answer is that there isn't like a specific percentage difference. I couldn't even tell you an average difference between the companies because in reality, some end customers pay more than some consulting firms and some big partners pay more than some small partners. So there really isn't a rule. Um, It was just an observation that I'd seen in the market that from speaking to various different company types, I'd noticed that yeah, really end users at that point were really starting to struggle to attract developers from some of the smaller consulting partners and also architects from from you know, senior um, senior people from some of the bigger partners. Um, end users were struggling to make those payments. So I, I don't think there is a, a hard and fast rule across the ecosystem. I think every company is different, but that's one of the, the big things you need to know. Every company does have different salary bandings. And some are a little bit more rigid than others. So in reality, yeah, it's just about understanding, you know, what the company's expectations are, where your expectations fit compared to that, and then making an assessment rather than, you know, just targeting certain industries or certain um, size consultancies because some will surprise you and, and others won't. The next question uh, is an interesting one. So should recruiters that we are working with proactively be approaching our staff? So The honest answer is no, they shouldn't. And it depends, obviously, when you say you're working or you're actively working with them. You know, if you maybe once worked with that recruiter a long time ago, but there's no kind of ongoing agreement or there's no active uh, communication between yourself and the recruitment agency, then it's a little bit different. But if you're actively working with a recruiter and providing them with opportunities to source roles for your company, then, then no, they shouldn't be approaching your staff 
and, and trying to approach people and, and lure them out of your business. I think if your staff are actively looking for work, though, it's a little bit different. So if your, your staff approach the recruiter, and even though you might be working with that recruiter on some other roles, ultimately, if your, your staff member is actively looking for a job, it doesn't matter if they go through that recruiter or another recruiter, they've already made their mind up to leave. So I think that's a little bit different. But the proactively approaching your staff is definitely something that, that you would want to have a, a word with them about and, and obviously make it clear that, that that isn't something that you're comfortable with. And, and yeah, just flag that really. So the next question, I'm a technical architect, but there seems to be more contract roles for developers. Should I step back into a developer role? So through this, you know, there's going to be a few questions that are quite, I guess, um, role specific or um, career related. And my answer for most of them will be fairly similar, but the answer is always going to be, it depends. So if you're a technical architect at the moment and you want to be a contractor, it depends what's the most important thing to you. Is the most important thing being a contractor or is it career progression and you know continuing down the architecture path? Some people just want to be contractors and, and there are plenty of people out there that have been technical architects before, um, but are now operating as a developer because there's more volume of opportunities there. The rates are good for developers as well. So, so if it's just purely about being a contractor, then yeah, go for it. There's no reason you shouldn't take on a developer role if you've done that before. Your skills are good and, and you can uh, jump back in quickly and, and, and get your hands dirty. If your, your goal is, is to progress as a technical architect to have further career development in that space and potentially work towards being a, a CTA or taking on, on bigger and, and more complex architecture pieces of work, then, then I would kind of think that staying as a technical architect would probably be your best bet. And, and rather than chasing the contract market, you probably look to look at different ways that you can progress your career and whether that's moving between companies you know looking for a personal development plan within your current organization or uh, or looking at external training that you can get around the architecture journey so yeah again this one really depends what's your long-term career aspirations and goals and and if it's about being a contractor then you know take whichever contract role fits the, the right budget or the right rate for you and uh, gives you the kind of work you're looking for um, if it's about being a, an architect and, and developing your skills further, then I think it, it's probably wise to stick on that path and keep your eye out for contract roles. But yeah, potentially look for, for other permanent roles that are going to help get you towards your goal. Next question, how regularly are you seeing fully remote roles and should I be applying for roles interstate? So we are actually starting to see some more remote roles. Uh, there are a few clients that we've been working with that have been really actively um, approaching remote candidates, looking for people that are interstate and being really kind of open to people working interstate 100% of the time and, and fully remotely 100% of the time. Other companies are, are less keen to do so, but we are definitely seeing the tide turn a little bit more. Obviously, people have had their hands forced a little bit with people working from home, but we have seen that this has been successful and uh, more and more companies are starting to consider interstate candidates. So should you be applying for roles interstate? I mean, not every role is going to say it would consider an interstate candidate on the, the job advert, but I, I would say you've probably got nothing to lose by, by putting your hat in the ring, um, applying for a role and making it clear that you would be looking to work remotely. I did actually see a gentleman in Brisbane recently apply for a Sydney-based role that wasn't advertised as a fully remote role. He secured the position as a platform manager and, uh, and yeah, ultimately, had he not applied, obviously, they would never have approached him. So he turned out to be the right candidate for the role. And uh, it was all down to him just putting his, uh, his name forward, making it clear that he wanted a remote role. And, and that worked out quite well for him. So, so yeah, I would, um, I would definitely keep an eye on, on opportunities that, that um, are well suited to your skill set. 
whether that's in a different state or, or just a, a slightly different suburb in, in, in the state in which you live. But yeah, keep an eye out on, on opportunities that are well suited to the skills you have. Next question is, I'm not ready to leave my role just yet, but I'm worried the demand in the market will drop off. Should I wait or look now? So this was a conversation I had with someone on the phone recently, actually, and, and their concern was that the market's really busy now and they're not in a, a, a rush to leave their current role. They, they feel there's some things they need to achieve and, and do still and some, I guess, further clarity that needs to come through on pipeline and things like that. But they're worried that if they don't make the leap now or start looking now, that in a few months when they do come to look, the market will have dropped off and, and there won't be as much demand. In all honesty, what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing is that the market's going to be very busy for a long time. I've spoken to multiple end customers and consulting firms over the last, you know, the last six years, but over the last couple of months, the, the demand has been more so than I've ever seen before. And, and the conversations we're having just kind of back up the fact that that's not going away. I do think things will settle down a little bit when the borders open and when people can come into the country from overseas, because I think some of the consulting partners will look to bring people in from over overseas and some of their offshore teams um, into the region. But yeah, in all honesty, I, I wouldn't have any concerns to say that the market is going to be busy in, in you know three, six months time. Who knows what the, the world will look like in 12 months. But right now, I'm, I'm confident the demand isn't going anywhere. Consulting companies are looking to grow. I, I've spoken to various partners that are looking to double their, their team size. Even some of the bigger partners are looking to, to grow by really, really extensive numbers. So yeah, no, no concerns from my end with regards to how much demand we'll see in the market over the coming months. The next question is, if I like a role, but not the job title, how open are companies to renaming the role? So we, we do see this. We see people that you know might be in a, a Salesforce admin role now and want to go into another company and the company are hiring for a Salesforce admin. So it seems like a sideways move. And even though it might be a step up in terms of complexity of the Salesforce org, or you know, more responsibility. Sometimes people don't want to take the same role. So uh, companies seem to be quite open to changing a job title. It would have to fit in with most companies' kind of model. So you know, they're probably not going to call you a, a, a Salesforce solution architect if that isn't the role you're doing. But they might call you, rather than a Salesforce admin, they might call you a Salesforce analyst or a, a Salesforce solution analyst or something like that. So yeah, I, I see no harm in, in asking that question. But I always say that the most important thing isn't the job title. It's actually what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. So people don't hire you just because of the job title you have. They hire you based on what you're doing, what you've achieved, and what, what outcomes you've achieved for your previous employers. So the big thing here is, Yes, you can ask to change a job title, but the, the biggest thing is making sure that the roles you're taking are giving you the experience and the exposure that you need from a day-to-day -day perspective, not just the job title you're looking for. And that goes as well with you know having senior in front of your title. Some people like to have senior if they're moving between one company to another. And it doesn't always, like to me, it doesn't matter that much. When, when I speak to a candidate, I, I don't necessarily you know, give judgments whether or not they have senior in front of their title or not. It's really about you know what they worked on, what they achieved, and how strong are their skills, rather than what they've been called in the past. The next question is, how is the existing Southwest job market in Australia looking like at the moment for overseas talent? So this this is a, a tough one because I mean the the market here is great, it's buoyant, there's lots of opportunity, but there really isn't a market at the moment for overseas talent because it's difficult to get into Australia. 
Um, not many companies are, are sponsoring right now because they're unaware when someone would be able to be on the ground in Australia. I, I know plenty of Australian permanent residents that are, are currently overseas and have struggled to get back into Australia. So yeah, the market here is buoyant, but it's not a great market for people looking to relocate from overseas, um, especially those needing visas and sponsorship. So I, I think that will change again, like I said, when the, the borders open. I do think the market will rebound and, and there'll be lots of opportunity for people coming in because companies have and are struggling to find local talent. So I do think there'll be a real spike in, um, in companies looking to bring people in from overseas. But right now, as of today, the 16th of July, when I'm recording this, I wouldn't say that the market is one that you're going to have much luck in unless something drastically happens with regards to borders being open or, or something changes. But yeah, unfortunately, we're not seeing many new people come into the market right now. What are some of the Salesforce areas slash skills in high demand, which are hard to come by in the region? So we are seeing, for, for me, actually, this last few months, I've really seen the spike in marketing cloud opportunities. I think there's some really good small partners that are doing great work in the marketing cloud space. Um, some bigger partners as well. But yeah, there, there, there is a real lack of um, available talent, I would say, in the marketing cloud space. There has been some movement, people leaving and, uh, and joining new partners uh, and, and new customers. But yeah, I, I feel like we're, we're definitely a number of people short in the marketing cloud space to be able to keep up with the demand that we're seeing. Interestingly as well, I've, recently I've seen some demand coming through in the commerce cloud space. So both B2C and B2B commerce I've had some roles in that space, which, which isn't an area I've ever really recruited in before. So that's, uh, that's been interesting to see some growth in that space. And then you have the, the kind of, the I guess, niche, but more well-known and uh, common areas now. So like CPQ, FSL, they're definitely growing and the demand is pretty steady and uh, ever increasing, I would say. So, so yeah, they're areas where, where we're seeing growth there and definitely a lack of experienced talent. But then also, uh, you know, Developers are really hard to find just a real good, solid um, Apex developer that obviously now um, most people are looking to have blended web components experience and senior development skills, but just a good, solid developer is hard to come by and there's lots of opportunity, lots of volume of roles in that space and uh, not enough good quality talent. And then uh, architects as well. I mean, really, I would say good, solid Salesforce resources. So whether that's a functional consultant, a developer, if they've got good experience, they've worked on some challenging projects before, and they invest in themselves, you know, passionate about Salesforce, and I think there's opportunities all over the market for people like that. So yeah, it's a, it's a really good market for, for anyone with solid Salesforce skills right now. What are some of the unique competitive advantages that the Salesforce market in Sydney or Melbourne has to offer compared to other regions in APAC? I think just the, the volume of opportunity, even if we just look at ANZ rather than the APAC region. So if we consider Sydney and Melbourne compared to uh, Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth, and obviously Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch, and so on, I, I appreciate the New Zealand market is also very busy, and, and there's lots of, of opportunity and also a, a shortage of, of good experienced talent over there. Um, but the, the volume of opportunity in Sydney and Melbourne is just great. There's you know, constant demand for good people in, in, in these cities, and the salaries are really good. The salaries are higher than, than you'll find in, in other cities in Australia and I, I believe in, in New Zealand as well. So um, people can earn really, really well, work on big, complex projects. So we have big banks, we've got big like, utilities companies, we've got government departments, we've got pretty much um, everything you could imagine uh, from a, a client base here in uh, Sydney and also in, in the Melbourne market. So there's lots of variation between projects and some really complex pieces of work out there. So I think it, working in Sydney or Melbourne gives people 
you know, good pay, good opportunity, and and good challenges. So there's um, there's some really good talent, some some good people to work with, um, and they're both really good markets to to excel your career and, and really push on to the next level. Because although they they are big markets in terms of volume of opportunities, they're still you know short of good talent and and good experienced people. So um, with good skills under your belt, you can progress quite quickly and uh, and secure lots of different opportunities. And then the, the final question is, I am a Salesforce functional consultant and wondering which is a good career path. So should I be a solution architect or a product owner? Maybe if you can give the pros and cons of each career path, including future demand. So um, this, this goes back to the, the previous career related question. Like it, it really does depend and it's difficult to answer without, you know, sitting down with the individual and, and really going through, you know, what, what they enjoy doing. You know, I think... Solution architects are very much in demand. And I think the beauty of the solution architect role is that it's it's now in demand across both consulting partners where, where there's been big demand in the past, but customers are also hiring for solution architects internally. Um, Salesforce hire for solution architects. ISV partners hire for solution architects. So pretty much every government department, pretty much everyone across the Salesforce ecosystem is open to hiring solution architects. And um, when I say pretty much everyone, I, I don't mean all companies because not every company size or is going to make use of a solution architect, but every kind of company type. So, you know, big companies um, in the, the end customer world, big consulting firms, small consulting firms, every different company type would look for solution architects at some point. So I think there's lots of volume there. I think the, the future demand there will be really good. Product owners is more of an internal facing role. So, you know, working for an end customer, working for a government department, could be working for an ISV. But, but it isn't necessarily a role that's often hired by consulting companies. So for, for pure volume, I would say solution architects probably would be the, the more in-demand area in the future. But in saying that, you know, it's really hard to find good product owners and people that have good, solid Salesforce knowledge, but more so, you know, not, not necessarily being a hands-on person, more, um, you know, managing stakeholders, defining and, and delivering a roadmap working with the business and, and, and also the technology team. So being the, the kind of conduit between the two, um, those people are really hard to find as well. So it, it comes down to what kind of role do you enjoy more? Where are your skills better aligned? Like, do you think like an architect? Do you want to work purely on projects and, and you know, work in, in that kind of delivery space? Or are you uh, someone that enjoys kind of taking a long-term view of a platform or a product? and driving engagement and, um, and I guess making that product as fit for purpose over the, the long term. Um, and, and depending on which one you prefer, then, then I think there's going to be good opportunities in both areas. And really, it's just about identifying which skills you have uh, are most aligned to, to that role and what areas you really need to work on to plug those gaps. So yeah, I don't think you can go wrong with either role, but it really depends what you want for your long term career and, and what your skills are and, and what you enjoy doing. So yeah, hopefully there's some uh, some interesting insight there for you. And I'm always kind of keen to answer any questions you have. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn anytime, drop me an email, give me a call. These are the kind of conversations I'm having on a daily basis. So uh, if anything comes up that, that you kind of uh, are unsure about, or you're just looking for some some advice or some uh, some insight from myself, then, then I'm always willing to provide that. So uh, yeah, look forward to hearing from you. Hopefully you're enjoying the podcast episodes and uh, yeah, keep your eyes peeled for our 100th episode, which is coming uh, in a week's time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talent Hub Talk. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love it if you could subscribe and also leave a short review. Um, we're keen for this podcast to reach as many people